Everybody, what is going on? You know what time it is. You're listening to Join the Journey podcast with your host, Emma Daughter. Thanks for joining. Have you ever wondered if Paul regretted writing to the Corinthians in the way he did? He was pretty bold in calling them out. Was he scared of hard conversations? Doesn't seem like it. Today, we're talking about something really important. How do we respond to correction? What's the difference between godly grief and worldly grief? Specifically, we'll be focusing on these ideas as we zoom in on chapter 7, verses 8 through 13. But let me set up the context for you. Paul is apologizing for any negative feelings his previous letter might have evoked in the hearts of the Corinthians. As we talked about in the second Corinthians bonus episode, we aren't totally sure what this letter exactly is or was, but we do know Paul had previously been grieved by the Corinthians' behavior and had been pretty firm with them. He called them higher. In verse 8, Paul says he temporarily regretted sending that previous letter because he could see he pierced the Corinthians a little. It was sharp. But now, he's saying he doesn't regret it because, well, the sorrow of the Corinthians led to their repentance, he says. Paul's goal was never to hurt the Corinthians or kick them while they were down. He wanted to see them rise to the occasion. He wanted them to really return to God's best for their lives and really return to the church or the church as God intended it to be. But Paul wasn't in the business of passing out compliments for the sake of making everybody feel good. He didn't go around handing out church participation trophies. He understood part of his role as an apostle meant having hard conversations, but he did so with grace. If you're anything like me, hard conversations can be easy to dread. Maybe you need to have a hard convo with one of your kids, an employee, someone in your community group, or maybe even your spouse. And when I say hard conversations, in this context, I'm not necessarily talking about conflict, like being in a disagreement with your spouse. In this instance, when I say hard conversations, I'm talking about those times when you see another believer who you care a lot about and deeply love just missing it. They're missing the mark when it comes to how Christ would have us live or lead. Approaching a friend or family member can be daunting. Sometimes we're so afraid that we sit on our hands and prefer to avoid the conversation at all costs. Others of us, we can get so frustrated that we have to resist the urge to snap or lash out at the individual we need to faithfully admonish or call higher. One commentator said this, Paul had no intention of venting his wrath on the disobedient in Corinth. Think about it. Paul's advice to fathers in Colossians 3.21 not to embitter or antagonize their children so that they become discouraged shows that he knows that disciplining others means that one always walks a fine line. There's a tension to navigate, a balance. Heartless chastisement can reap harmful results as much as carelessness and indifference. Paul confessed he had misgivings that he might have done the wrong thing. But remember, he has already told them his purpose in writing, so that his next visit would bring joy instead of pain, to show his love, and to test their obedience. That's all from chapter 2. It's kind of like Paul saying, I know, my words stung a little, but that was actually the goal. They led to an appropriate repentance. Paul wasn't celebrating the fact that his words stung. He's celebrating the fact that his words accomplished their intended purpose. They evoked godly grief. Godly grief is different than worldly grief. Worldly grief occurs when we lose or reject something we desire for ourselves. This kind of grief has an all-about-me attitude. Worldly grief grieves the loss of things of this world. I'm going to say that again. Worldly grief grieves the loss of the things of this world. It's the feelings we experience when we don't receive the recognition we believe we've earned, or the discontentment that's felt when we think our finances aren't where we'd like them to be. Again, worldly grief is all about me and what I think is best. And worldly grief produces a different result than godly grief. Whereas godly grief leads us to repent or turn from our sin, 
Worldly grief can leave us feeling desperate, bitter, and hopeless. Think about it as the kind of attitude that might lead somebody to throw themselves a pity party. That's worldly grief. But as we wrap up, I want to address one more interpretive challenge. In verse 10, Paul says the repentance godly grief produces leads to salvation. And you might be thinking, what does that mean? Aren't the Corinthians already saved? As I studied these verses, I found that the questions I'd asked, and the one you're probably asking in regard to verse 10, have been asked by many scholars. We should expect repentance that leads to salvation to be associated with an unbeliever turning to God. So what's the case here in verse 10? Aren't the Corinthians already saved? Well, one commentator said this, Repentance implies remorse for sins that anger God. It implies the desire to make amends and quit sinning. Paul fears that any refusal to own up to their sins will lead to a hardening that will calcify their hearts and make true repentance all the more difficult. It wasn't that they'd lost their salvation or were going to lose it. Paul wanted them to be sanctified, to be made to look more like Christ. He didn't want them to resist the Spirit's conviction. Think about it like this. When I was a kid, around the third grade, I continued to lie to my parents about what was happening at school. One time, I got in trouble for putting my apple slices in another girl's milk carton at lunch, and I kept that event secret from my parents. Time after time, my parents gave me opportunities to, on my own accord, share with them what was happening at school. They'd always tell me it'd be better for me to tell the truth sooner rather than later. The consequences would always be worse if I waited to tell the truth or intentionally told lies. But despite their invitation to be honest and forthcoming, I kept the apples in the milk carton event secret, so much so that this antic came as a surprise to them at the parent-teacher conference. My unwillingness to walk in honesty and to repent led to not only the stress that comes from secret sin in my own life, but also a greater consequence after the parent-teacher conference. And similarly, Paul understood that sin that simmers steals. Sin that we let simmer and sit around steals life from us. We ignore the Spirit's conviction and disobey God. And when we do this, we're not experiencing the fullness of life Jesus came to bring us. Think about it. When your friends, maybe in the context of your community group or small group, try to help you see your sin, are you upset because you got called out or are you upset because you've dishonored God? I know that my motives can definitely get distorted. A good question to ask is, am I upset because I got caught or am I upset because I didn't honor God, whom I love? Reflecting on this concept is really important. But the good news is that even though we are powerless to change on our own, just as we see with the Corinthians, God is in the business of correcting and restoring broken things. Today, I'd encourage you to spend some time reflecting, but also thanking God that we don't have to have it all together. Christ is at work in and through us. Hey, we want to thank you for listening and we hope you enjoyed the episode. Did you know that you can help support Join the Journey by rating and reviewing this podcast? And if you're willing, we'd love it if you subscribe because the more you download, the easier it will be for new friends to find the podcast.